I'm going to um, actually do some prayer. Uh, in our church community, there are many of us are either um, running our own business or um, yeah, running our own business in, in different kind of uh, different kind of spheres. Whether if you're a tradie or you might be um, running a business that's grown uh, in different arenas. What I want to do is actually pray for you um, because you have you represent Jesus uh, in that workplace in that. Uh, sphere of influence. So would you join with me in prayer? Father God, we want to thank you for the men and women in our church who are running businesses or have quite a significant leadership role in their workplace. We pray as you use them this year that they're not defined by their role or their title, but they're defined by you, the title that you've given them as you've adopted them as you paid for um, dying on the cross for their sins, Lord Jesus, and giving them a new hope, a new identity. We pray that as they work in their workplace, as they run their business, as they quote and price, as they hire and lead and serve, that they will do it all for your glory. We pray that you would use them as your witness in their uh, industry, that as people watch and listen, the quality of work that they produce, in the way that they run their business, in the ethics that they use, that it will be a witness that you live in them, that you would use them in their industry to influence their industry for the kingdom, that you would empower them through your spirit. And in those moments when they may be tempted to follow what the industry says uh, in a wrong way or what the world says, that you would encourage them and draw them back to you and that they will have an open hand with their business, with their workplace, that they will surrender to you every day as they live for you and work for you. And Lord, as we continue this time, as we continue to use this time of worship to hear from your word through your servant Cameron, we pray that your spirit will awaken us and stir us and, and teach us what you're saying to us. Help us not to just listen, but also to do what you have called us to do in response. We pray that you would empower your servant Cameron for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's see if I can get a better response than Beth. Good morning, everyone. Ah, oh, Thank you. Good job. I must confess I'm a bit nervous this morning because I do have an international guest with me, so hopefully I, I do okay. No, it is a privilege to, to have this opportunity to speak to you all, and I think even more so when the topic is prayer. Uh, what is more important as we begin this new year, uh, as many of us have already got back into the hustle and bustle of life, to fix our minds upon prayer? You know, whether you begin this year in a place of joy, excited for your relationship with God, looking forward to the different aspects of this year, or whether you begin this place, begin this time in a place of sorrow, not really feeling like your relationship with God is going well, not excited at all even for this year to begin. There's nothing more important than this topic of prayer. And we're actually going to be in this, uh, I guess, well-known section known as the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, this particular passage had no really great impact on me until I went to Poland last year. 
And person after person I met knew this prayer. They could recite it to me perfectly uh, because they went to church services two, three times a week and they repeated these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And yet this from a people who 99% of them had no idea what a relationship with the Father was. They prayed in the church services and they, they prayed when they were supposed to and they repeated these words. But outside of that, they had no relationship. They were praying to a distant God, a God who, was, who did not care about their everyday needs. And I believe it's easy to do this ourselves. To believe maybe in the routine of prayer to fall into the trap of thinking we pray to a God who is distant, who is not so concerned with our everyday needs. That we are actually praying to an intimate Father who loves us and cares for us deeply. And I think, I think even some of the misconceptions of this passage haven't really helped. I mean, for those of us who have grown up in Christian circles, how many acronyms for prayer have we heard? Some have taught that this is the order in which we should pray, and prayer has to be like this. Or maybe perhaps some teach that this is the language we should use. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And, and while these things aren't meant to be unhelpful, I think sometimes they hinder us from pouring out our hearts to God. And so what did Jesus want us to learn from this passage? What was Jesus teaching his disciples? Is God so concerned with our structure of prayer or our hearts? And how can we, as a people, not fall into the trap like so many Polish people I met and pray to a distant God who's unconcerned? How can we be dependent upon God daily as our intimate Father? Let me pray and then we can get into it. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that we can call you Father. And I just pray as I, as I speak now that you may be the one who speaks that you may work by your Holy Spirit both in my heart and the hearts of the people here to draw us closer to you. And God, we ask, as your disciples did, to teach us to pray and continually show us what that means both for us individually and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we heard from Shabu last week that the context of this prayer comes in a section known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching his disciples here what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And that a true follower of Jesus doesn't seek the approval of man, he seeks the approval of God. And actually, in this section particularly, Jesus has been talking about secret fasting and, and secret giving. Don't do these things for all to see. Do them behind closed doors. And now Jesus moves on to prayer. Don't pray on the street corners for all to see, like the religious leaders. And don't heap up empty words like those who do not know God. For God knows what you need. 
And Shabu reminded us last week that prayer is relational. Who we believe we are praying to affects everything in our prayer lives. And we saw actually that the first half of this prayer was very focused on God, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. But in these verses today, it takes a change. It it turns and its focus is on us and our needs. And so we're going to read through this prayer. So I want actually everyone to stand up and we're going to read it out together. And as I read, see if you can spot the difference, the change in, uh, that occurs halfway through. All right, so let's read. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thanks. You can be seated. And so you would have noticed the the change that takes place in 11 to 13. The prayer starts to focus on ourselves. And really, I think these verses are actually quite straightforward. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others their debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And you know, I actually have a fairly simple point today. Because I don't really think this passage is complex. I don't think our prayer to our Father is supposed to be complex. I really just want to show today that a healthy prayer life is daily and continually dependent upon God for both our spiritual and physical needs. And even though I spoke about this change that occurs in in this section we're focusing on today, I want us to see that these things continually go back to the gospel. All these requests are tied into what Jesus did on the cross. Just as Shabu pointed out last week, that seeing God as the intimate Father comes through an understanding of what Jesus has done. And so we come to this first request. Give us this day our daily bread. Now while there is some argument over uh, what exactly this verse is asking for, it seems like this verse is asking for the bread of the day. So on this day, give us bread. And the term daily bread can actually just be, is more widely used just as a term for food in general or just provisions for the day. And so he's asking the Father here to give provisions that are necessary for the day, to meet our daily physical needs. And you know, my temptation as I looked at this passage was to think, oh, there must be something deeper here, some deeper theological meaning and Because it can't just simply be a prayer asking the Father for food. And while, yes, you can draw allusions here to Jesus being the true spiritual bread, regardless, this prayer is still talking about providing for our daily needs. And the more I thought about it and prayed through this, I realized that this prayer is so amazing because of its simplicity, its simple dependence upon God. It's simple dependence upon the Father. You see, Jesus was teaching this prayer to his disciples. 
And as we know, his disciples had left everything to follow him. They left their jobs, their families, their whole lives were now changed because they were following Jesus. They had no idea where their next meal was going to come from. And so we need to put ourselves in their shoes, as you always need to do when you read the Bible, to put yourselves in the shoes of those it was first being spoken to. And Jesus is teaching here, you need to be dependent upon the Father for all your needs. And, and you know, the disciples weren't, weren't great at this. We see in the feeding of the 5,000, when there was a lack of food, what was the disciples' solution? To go to the town, to buy some, to get food for those around. But Jesus asked the Father, And so he's showing them now, you can be dependent upon the Father for for all your needs. He even speaks about this again later in chapter 7, just after this. What father, when his son asks for bread, gives them a stone? Your father knows what you need, and Jesus wants his disciples to see this. A simple dependency upon God. And so... What about us here? Most of us here are followers of Jesus. Most of us here would proclaim our dependency upon God. But I wonder, is that really displayed in our prayer lives? Do we have a simple daily dependency upon God? Does your prayer life reflect dependency upon God? And you see, I think the problem is we aren't in the same position as Jesus' disciples. We live in perhaps one of the richest countries in the world. We have what we need when we need it. If we need food, well, we go and get it. If we need water, well, we go to the tap. But more than that, we live in a culture that says we are in control of our lives. We don't need anyone else. We have the freedom of choice in every aspect of our lives. We decide what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. We have the freedom of choice. But there is a great danger with this, I think, that comes into our prayer lives. Because though we proclaim dependency, and though we would give the standard Christian answer when someone asks that we're doing it in God's strength, are we really dependent upon him? Because I think there's a trickle effect that happens. And I, and I notice it in my own life. We are used to being in control. And it's not like this only with food. It starts to happen with other things. You know, if we're sick, we go to the doctors. You know, if, if we need to know how to parent better, well, we go find the latest parent book or, or ask others for help. You know, is my job or studies difficult? Well, I'll just change what I'm doing. I'll study a different course. And before we know it, trickles into our spiritual lives. If we have a question about God, well, we type the question into Google and, or into YouTube and we have many different pastors' opinions on that question. If we are feeling unsatisfied with our church, well, we move. But what when in this process do we go to God? And it's not that these things are wrong, but when in this process do we come to the Father? Because before we know it, we have become self-sufficient, 
Self-sufficient for both our spiritual and physical needs. And I think, although not many of us would admit it here, I think one of the main reasons we don't pray is because we don't need to pray. Why do we need to pray? We can get all that we want. We can get it when we want it. And in the end, the only thing that ends up driving us to prayer is when something happens that spins our lives out of control. We lose our job. We lose a family member. We get sick. And then all of a sudden we will run to prayer. But I think this is a a dangerous place to be. I read a quote during the week and it goes like this. Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And so, what about us then? What are some practical steps we can take forward? Well, I think, first of all, this prayer urges us to realize that all that we have is from God. And that even though we have many things and access to many things, that this is all from the Father in heaven. I think daily coming before God in prayer and recognizing our complete need for him in these things is so important because without him we would have nothing. But, but secondly, I, I think we, we do things that aren't helpful in our prayer lives, that make it more difficult. If, if you're anything like me, I like to make grand plans for my prayer life. You know, I, I like to say I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. in the morning and, and have this super spiritual awesome time. I'm going to pray for this long and it's just going to be great. But, but I don't meet those expectations. And then I'll be driving to my first thing of the day and I'll be frustrated because I couldn't pray the way I wanted to. Yet I forget that prayer is constant communication. And I think we we often build prayer up as having to be this perfect space at this perfect time. And we just end up never praying because we can't live up to that. But our prayers don't have to be one significant chunk. This This prayer teaches us that our prayers can be simple. They can be throughout the day. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, help me as I talk to this person now. Lord, give me wisdom as I face this meeting at work. Lord, give me strength as I deal with my kids. Lord, give me the words for this essay that I'm about to write. And of course, I'm not discouraging here deep and meaningful times of prayer. Of course, we should be doing that but I'm saying that in a relationship a life giving relationship there is constant dependence constant communication with the father this prayer displays simple praying and simple dependence upon the father for all our needs you know in August 2010 the whole world's attention was on a mine located in Chile where 33 miners were huddled in the dark after becoming trapped. 
2,300 feet underground. You know, they had no idea if help was arri- would arrive. And after 17 days in the dark, they heard this drilling sound. And soon a hole appeared in the surface of the mine, followed by two other holes, and, and, and shortly followed by food and water and medicine that they needed to live. These miners were actually in this, trapped in this mine for another 52 days before they were rescued. Every single day when they woke up, they would be huddled together looking to these holes in the roof, waiting for their necessary food, their necessary water, that they could survive. You know, is this how we view our daily prayer life? That we are actually those miners huddling in the dark, waiting for the food and drink that we need, the food and drink that comes through prayer and prayer alone. Let us not be like the Israelites, who when they went out into the wilderness to receive their daily bread, they were unsatisfied. They wanted more. They didn't want what God had to offer. Let us come to God in thanksgiving, realizing what he's done, what he's given us, and being in constant dependence upon him. And so moving on to verse 12 now, which says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so this prayer actually moves on from a physical request to a spiritual one. It focuses on our spiritual Needs. Now, some will have noticed, those of you who know the Bible well, that Luke's account says, give us, uh, forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven others theirs. Now, this, the difference between sins and debts, really, there isn't one. They, they mean the same thing. Both show our insufficiency, our falling short before God. But what's interesting is that these, this verse, forgive us our debts, actually follows on from verse 11. Give us, this daily, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Now I think this is important because this verse is not only asking for forgiveness of sins in general, it's asking for forgiveness for the sins of the day. Sins that haven't even been committed yet. You know, this prayer is so utterly dependent upon God. This verse shows us we need to continually focus on God's grace. Because you see, it's set out as a daily prayer, this prayer. It asks for forgiveness every single day. Now now I guess the question is why? Why, if we have already been completely forgiven by Christ, must we continually seek his forgiveness? Because I'm sure as all of us here know, in the weakness of our flesh, in the weakness of our own selves, we continue to fall short of God in his perfection, in his holiness. And so Jesus, he's teaching his disciples here to continually be to, be, to set their minds upon God's grace. This prayer sets the gospel before our eyes. Because it knows there is forgiveness. And you see, a healthy prayer life will daily set the gospel before itself. 
A daily prayer, a good prayer life will always come before the cross of God, seeking forgiveness, realizing our insufficiency, but God's great sufficiency. I think this is actually the most important part of our prayer life. Because I think there's a danger that I see today that I think we fall into one of two categories. Either we believe that when we become Christians, we actually don't need to seek forgiveness anymore. We can actually reach a point where we don't need to repent. We don't need to ask God for forgiveness. And it it seems to be something I hear more and more often these days. But there's a great danger in this because it fails to see how awesome God is in his perfection and how much we still, even when we're not dealing with some of the sins we used to, that we still fall short of him in his perfection. But the other side of the coin, and one I think is far more common in this room, is that we actually forget that we've been forgiven. Or or maybe not so much forget, but walk as though we haven't. That yes, we still sin, but we are completely, completely righteous in Christ. And we make ourselves feel guilty and feel like we have to make up for our mistakes. But Jesus shows here simplicity. This prayer does not labor on for forgiveness. It simply states it. Forgive us our debts. And then it moves on. And can I be honest for a second here and say this is one of the areas I struggle with most in my walk with God. You know, I love to set high standards for myself. I love to say this is the way I'm going to do things. And and oftentimes I fall short of my own standards. And, And my temptation is to beat myself up for this and And to be angry with myself. And what I find that if I don't come before God, come before the gospel each day, remind myself that my righteousness is in Christ, that my life is hidden with him, that that nothing can separate me from the love of God, then I all of a sudden begin to work for my salvation all over again. Guilt and shame begin to build up in my own heart. And before I know it, I'm actually walking in despair and trying to be good enough for God all over again. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before, but it happens to me often. And the solution is to set the gospel each day in my prayer life before my eyes. To see my insufficiency, yes, but God's sufficiency to fill all my needs in the cross. That there is forgiveness in him. Continual forgiveness for past, present and future sins. It's so important to set our minds upon grace. But, but I guess more than that, this setting our minds on the gospel in our prayer lives, this seeking forgiveness And reminding ourselves there is forgiveness completely changes the way we live each day. And and we can see a reflection of this in this verse. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now it's interesting. You know, this this verse really states it as a fact. It doesn't say forgive us our debt forgive us our, our debts as we and help us, Lord, to forgive our debtors. It says, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And actually you'll see later on in verse 14 and 15, it takes it so far as to say that if we don't forgive others their sins, God won't forgive us. 
Now, that, that's pretty strong. So why does it say that? Well, it's because if we understand the gospel, if we understand that Jesus died on the cross for us in our weakest sinful state, that he sent his son and rose again and equipped us with the Holy Spirit, if we understand these things, it will inevitably and certainly lead us to being able to forgive others. And you know, Jesus actually talks about this elsewhere. There's a parable later in Matthew called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And, and in this parable, there's a servant who comes to his master and, and he owes him 10,000 talents, the equivalent of hundreds of millions of dollars in our world today. And the, and the master graciously forgives him his debt. And then this very same servant goes off to one of his slaves who owes him about $300. And he doesn't forgive him. Though he has been forgiven, he withholds forgiveness. And this parable isn't to show that, that our, the things we require forgiveness for aren't great in terms of each other, because I know many of us here have genuinely been hurt by others, and I know that those things are difficult and challenging to work through. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is to show how much God has forgiven us. How much more, no matter how great our struggles are, God has forgiven us so much more. And so that's why it's so important to set the gospel before our eyes. Because in realizing our own insufficiency before God, in realizing that we fall short and we still need forgiveness... These things move us to action. It moves us to compassion. It moves us to show love and and sympathy towards those who don't know Christ, who are doing some terrible things. And I guess more importantly, it moves us to compassion and sympathy for those brothers and sisters who simply just annoy us, who we see commit things that we don't agree with, when we remind ourselves of our own need for forgiveness, when we set our eyes on God's grace, we're able to move to action, to have compassion, to have love. If we don't, we'll quickly become hard-hearted. We must set the gospel before us. And finally, we come to verse 13. You know, we have seen this prayer focus on our daily provisions and then on our spiritual need. And now Jesus turns his attention to the very real battle for our spiritual lives. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now the word lead here kind of makes it sound like God's the one who is tempting us. But that's not really what this verse is talking about. Rather, it's speaking about protection from temptation in the weakness of our own flesh. And we see this in a chapter in James, chapter 1. It says this, Let no man be tempted, let no man say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then this prayer moves on to ask for deliverance from the evil one. 
Now, now, similarly to forgiveness, why do we need to pray for deliverance if God has already defeated the evil one? Well, we know from Scripture that the devil still rolls around like a, a lion looking for those to devour. And let me tell you that the evil one can make us ineffective. He can cause us to go down places that we never wanted to. He can cause us to be hurting as Christians and feel distant from God if, if we are not vigilant in our prayers. And, and I know for myself, maybe you're like me, I'm often just not aware of this. I, we don't see the, the spiritual battle around us very often. But I think if we all had a glimpse for just a second of how much the spiritual world affects our everyday walks with God, we'd be amazed. We'd certainly be praying more than we do for protection. After all, Paul himself says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against the things we see around us, against the world we see around us. We wrestle against the cosmic powers of the spiritual world the things that we don't see. These are the ultimate powers at work. These are the things that are trying to attack us every day. Not those of the world. But, but is praying for protection a part of our lives, part of our prayer lives each day? But, but more than that, I think praying for protection and realizing that we're praying from a position of victory Jesus is the one who has already chained up the evil one. He, he has been put in his place. He has been destroyed by the cross. And, and he can actually have no say over our lives anymore. He will attempt to, of course. But if we are praying, if we are setting prayer before us in this way, we'll actually be able to resist him, that he will flee from us. We must set this prayer of protection before us. And, and, and finally, just as I conclude, there's something I think that it's easy to miss about this prayer as we read the Bible. And I think we often miss this as we read through most of the scripture. But I think it's something we need to think about. This, this prayer is not, it's not individually focused. It doesn't say, give me this day my daily bread and forgive me my debts I have forgiven my debtors and lead me not into temptation as, but deliver me from the evil one. No, it, it's talking about a group of people. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. It's centred upon community we must be praying for one another, church. We must be praying with one another. These prayers for forgiveness for each other, for provisions for one another, for protection for one another. Because only then will we flourish as believers if we are praying as a community and individually. We at Canterbury Gardens here must realize our utter dependency upon God as set out in this prayer. That all we have is from him 
and we continually must be dependent upon him through the day because he is the loving father that is made available to us through the cross. That we daily need forgiveness and to set our eyes on what Jesus has done, that he has made forgiveness available and to seek protection from the evil one. But more than that, to realize that we have protection from a position of victory. And I hope you can see how these things all tie back to the gospel. They all tie back to Jesus' great work on the cross, to what Christ accomplished. Canterbury Gardens, we need him every single day. And as we face this year, whether from a position of joy or sorrow, let us realize that nothing, nothing moves forward without prayer. Nothing changes without prayer. We could accomplish everything we want to this year, all our great plans. We could accomplish it all, but if we are not giving it to our Father in prayer, we have accomplished nothing. We must come to our loving Father and give him all that's in our lives. And finally, just to those who maybe don't know Jesus here today, I hope you have seen the kind of God that we serve. We serve an intimate and loving Father who cares about everything in our lives. He cares about our daily needs, from the simple things to the big things. But ultimately, we serve a God who cared enough to send his son in our weakest and most vulnerable state to die for us and to give us new life. And he actually offers you an invitation today. This father offers you an invitation to be his child and to be cared for by the one who truly knows what you need. and the one who truly loves us all. So as we conclude, I want us all actually to stand again and read this prayer, but I want us to read it from our hearts, giving it to God. And so why don't we all stand and we'll pray this one last time. And while I'm doing that, why doesn't the music team come up? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.